2: everybody, welcome back to Front Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Seipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin for the first time it seems like forever. So how's everybody doing?
1: <laughs> good, good. How are
2: you? Good. Things are good.
0: Happy to have the band back together.
2: Yep. I, I don't know. It's only been like two weeks, but it's, <laughs> has it's, it it has only been two weeks, right?
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah,
2: it feels like a lot longer than that. Well, it's good that we're all here. Uh, so we'll jump right in now to promote extend trade. And this week from, uh, sunset of October 8th, which is my birthday to sunset of October 9th. It is Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. It's one of the Jewish high holy days together at Rosh Hashanah, and it's basically a day of fasting, prayer, and asking for forgiveness. Now, I'm sure this is true for any team, but especially for the Mets. It feels like there's a lot of things that they should be asking us forgiveness for. There have been fights, massive lapses of judgment, stupidities, big stupidities, everything in between. Um, So even though there's a lot of stuff that, like, the owners and the front office should be asking us forgiveness for. I'm just gonna ignore that stuff because it's kind of hard to quantify. You know, a lot of a lot of those things are things that we're still feeling the effects of. You know, be it the the Madoff stuff, or you know maybe some front office moves. You know, maybe we want Brody Van Wagenen to be asking for forgiveness for the big trade last winter, but you know it still could turn out that Dunn and Kellenick amount to nothing. And Kanon-Diaz rebound, so I'm just going to stay away from those kinds of big things that we're still feeling the effects of. And I'm just going to go for some on-the-field gaffes, and there have been plenty of them. That's true. So for this, promote is going to mean that we're going to forgive, but we're secretly still going to have a grudge. Extend means that we're truly 100% going to actually forgive. And then trade is that it's just so egregious we're not even going to forgive him at all. All right. So we have Luis Castillo dropping that pop-up.
1: That was obvious. That, <laughs> we knew that one was coming.
2: There's Tom Glavin for Game 162. And then there's Sean Estes for Missing Roger Clemens. Hmm. So who are we going to forgive but secretly not mean it? Who are we going to truly forgive? And who are we not going to forgive at all?
0: Um... I was at game one sixty two, so Tom Glavine's oh. dead to me. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, never gonna forgive him. Uh, I guess fake forgive Luis Castillo and Sean Estes, whatever.
1: So, I'm small potatoes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Sean Estes being whatever. However, I was not at one at game one sixty two. So, like, I'll forgive. Like, the season collapsing isn't all on Glavin, right? Like, the Mm -hmm. fact that they were in that position is just a total team wide failure. So, I'll forgive him, but hold, like, a small grudge. That Luis Castillo moment and the calls on both sides, both from Anthony K. Not from Jesus, not Anthony (laughs) K.
2: Don't (laughs) drag his name into things,
1: Lucas. God. Who's the K who does the Yankees game? Michael Michael K. Michael K. I mean, he sucks. Um, I assume there's no relation there. Uh, but I have, like, that call burned into my brain forever. I have the Mets call burned into my brain forever. I have the radio call burned into my brain forever. Mostly because that that, that was 2009, right? Mm-hmm. So it was just, like, that season was so shitty anyway that that it's like, okay, look, just, just give us this good win against the Yankees so we have a couple positive moments, and instead we get the the negative cherry on top of the your team sucks and is terrible Sunday so yeah I'm never forgiving Luis Castillo
0: <laughs> fair
1: I, I forgave him but I secretly didn't mean it
2: mm-hmm. because it was just like the the team was like we were saying it was just such a bad season the team was out of it from like the beginning practically like Reyes was out Delgado and Wright and Maine and everybody And then that was also the year of like all of the Lulmet stuff. So he was just like a really good lightning rod for just taking all those other things and, you know, just putting it on his shoulders. So I'm going to say that I forgive him because at the end, it really was just kind of a pop-up of a game that didn't really mean anything. So who cares? But I don't really mean it. And Tom Glavin, I'm going to forgive completely because like you were saying, you know, it wasn't all on him. And if the Mets had won, Literally one game more at any point during the entire month of September. It's like they would have gotten in. And then in that game, too, if, if the offense didn't make bad downtrodden Willis look like good downtrodden Willis and the rest of the bullpen look like amazing when they were really one of the worst in baseball that year, you know, Don, uh, uh, Glavin would have been off the hook. But I am I'm a little surprised. Well, I don't know. I mean, everybody has different opinions, but. I am never forgetting at all Sean Estes. And I'm surprised <laughs> that both of you were just kind of like, eh, about him. Hmm. Because, I mean, Roger Clemens was, like, public enemy number one. And you only have one opportunity to get revenge before, like, the moment is gone. And then you're in the wrong for, like, you know, doing it. And he just had one job. And he missed. Like, Come on. <laughs> like, I mean, how, at, uh, at the end of the day, like, the you know, he hit a homer. And yeah, he hit, the, he hit, the hit a two-yard
1: homer. That's even better than hitting yeah, it, Russ. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a difference. I don't really think that was very cathartic.
0: cathartic also, like. Clemens kind of got his, his own in the end. <laughs>
1: I don't know, like like any pitcher, look, like any pitcher could throw in the National League, and we could debate the merits of, of throwing at people intentionally, but caveman brain will, can always get the satisfaction of a pitcher throwing at another pitcher. How often do you get your own pitcher taking the other pitcher who you hate deep? Like, that's that's so much better. Yeah, in a lot of it ways, was that's better, definitely better.
0: It
2: was better in an in-game game situation for sure and it also in, in like a yeah kind of way like,
1: yeah exactly yeah,
2: <laughs> some scrub just took roger clemens deep but the, roger clemens did not suffer you know <laughs> like he gave up a couple of earned runs at, at the end of the year though like whatever but like he, he didn't even come close roger clemens did not even get brushed back he didn't get knocked on his ass nothing he just stood there the ball went like two feet behind him he looked at the pitcher I'm part of one both benches, and then that was the end of it. It's like Yeah. He needed to be hit in the ass. At the very least, he should have been knocked on his ass.
1: Steve, it sounds like you had the ass.
2: Leave my my ass is very nice.
1: <laughs> is your but is your ass in the jackpot? Probably not.
2: <laughs> I just have to say I went to the mechanic the other day to get just my um, what do you call it? Registration. And it turned into a $500 new breaks affair. So I'm definitely oh, not in any jackpots.
1: Oh, good, good, good. Excellent.
0: <laughs> but I'm yeah, glad to is... could discuss ass for like five minutes here. <laughs> yeah, no. It's it's important, I guess.
1: Uh, I have to- a total non sequitur because I forgot that I was remembering the 2010 opening day lineup thinking the Mets sucked. No, the 20- 2009 opening day lineup was like, really good. And this team yeah. sucked anyway.
2: <laughs> the only reason, like the, the, the only reason they were out of it for majority of the season, is because like one after another after another season-ending injuries. I mean, on on the surface, at the beginning of the year, they had still peak right, still peak Reyes, right Delgado, Carlos and Carlos are still, you know, power hitters. They had an okay rotation. They had a solid bullpen with. K-Rod and JJ Putts anchoring it and you know just Daniel being...
1: Murphy left fielder
2: right 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 right. <laughs> good times
1: well yeah this might be the first this, this also might be the first time we've had three entirely different answers for this
2: yeah I think I, so a lot of times usually the there's like two of us who agree well it just shows what we all deem is worth forgiving We're all very forgiving people.
1: Oh, uh, totally.
2: (laughs) All right, well, let's jump into our AFL updates now. Um, As you guys know, a bunch of Mets prospects are playing for the Scottsdale Scorpions. Uh, We're about two-plus weeks in now. And uh, let's just go start with the infielders here. Louis Carpio, he's played in four games so far. And he's hitting 333, 375, 467 with two doubles. So that's pretty nice.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Andres Jimenez, uh, he's playing in nine games so far. And he's hitting 294, 333, 441 with two doubles and a homer. Um, Ali Sanchez, catcher slash first baseman slash DH, he's played in six games. And he's hitting 188, 359, 188 with no extra base hits, only three singles, but he does have four walks. So that's at least offsetting the lack of hits. Patrick Mizeka, he's been in five games, and he's hitting 250, 250, 300 with a double. Now over to the pitchers. Riley Gilliam, relief pitcher, he's appeared in four games, and he's allowed five runs, but only one of them has been earned. So that's a 169 year. And he's walked none, and he struck out five. Uh, Blake Taylor, second relief pitcher. He's been in four games, and he has allowed two runs, both of which were earned. So that's a 360 ERA in five innings. And he's walked two and struck out eight. Then we have Jordan Humphreys, starting pitcher, coming back from Tommy John. He's appeared in three games, piggybacking with uh, David Peterson, who we'll talk about in a second. And he's tossed uh, 9.2 innings, and he's allowed one run, and it was earned. So it's a 0.93 ERA, and he's walked three and struck out five. And Peterson has started three games, and he has a sterling zero ERA in 10.1 innings, and he's walked five and struck out ten. So nothing, still nothing too surprising. Um... Everything, obviously, it's small, so sample sizes. And then we don't even have, like, pitch FX data or anything to look at, you know, underlying trends or velocities or anything like that. So, like we said a couple of weeks ago, Humphreys um looking solid in his three three-inning starts or, or appearances, excuse me. It's good to see, but just him pitching, period, is a win. Um Riley Gilliam hasn't issued any walks yet for appearances. He's a guy that commands kind of always been spotty, so it's nice he hasn't walked anybody yet, but you've got to balance that with the fact that the AFL talent level is probably uh, not, you know, he, he's a guy that's probably a little too talented than the kind of general rank and file in the AFL here or the Mexican teams that they're playing. So it's probably not indicative of anything much. But obviously, for the most part, um, nobody is nobody sucking, which is good to see.
1: I think we uh, kind of went through him fast, but Carpio is mildly interesting to me again at this point.
2: Yeah, he had a good season last year, and it was if, if he continues with hitting like this in the AFL, however many games he ends up getting into, uh, I think that the case for him being a guy to pay attention to definitely is reopened.
1: When did he have his shoulder surgery? I don't quite remember. Uh,
0: two, I want to say twenty seventeen, I think. Either
1: okay. sixteen, so or he 17. like didn't play in sixteen. So it looks like I guess it was sixteen. Mm. I mean, yeah, like he's, his his stance line is interesting. I could buy him getting stronger two years or two or three years post shoulder surgery because that's a tough injury to come back from. Like, mm-hmm. it's mild mildly uh, encouraging. Emena not hitting though is still a little worrisome. I mean, he's hitting, but it's not. It's like it's still a sub 800 OPS in the fall league. Like that's not great.
2: Right. I mean, he's got he's got uh, a homer in nine games, which is for him, I guess, is a pretty good rate. But the AFL is the AFL, so like we said a few weeks ago, it, it's a desert. So there's that thinner air thing and the elevations. And then, uh, like Gilliam, Jimenez's overall talent level is probably a bit higher than the general rank and file of guys that they're playing against, so it might not be indicative of of much. It's a little worrisome that he's you know, he's he's up to eight strikeouts already, yeah, which is kind of hmm, he's got like not a power
1: based approach without power, yeah,
2: which is why we were all
1: shaking our heads when the Mets did that. Man. Also, so, like all the pitchers are gassed, you should be raking. But whatever. Joey Bart has been uh, very impressive. Yeah.
2: Four homers and eight why, games. Why? What is
1: Bart doing in the fall league? Like it's a total waste of his time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Let me so you have something? Game. You were, you started to say something there, Ken. and I cut you off.
0: Uh. No, just the early returns on on Jimenez unborking his swing are uh, not great. Yeah,
2: yeah, you'd like to see a little bit more right now.
0: It's almost but... like he shouldn't be stomping and lifting the ball.
2: Mm. Let's see. Here's Bart's line in eight games. He's hitting 400, four hundred uh, four. Excuse me, four hundred five fifty nine nine twenty. With four homers and a double. <laughs> Eight
1: walks and five strikeouts. Yep. <laughs> wait, so
2: wait. that's what you want to see. I mean, obviously, Bart is um, a much higher profile prospect than Jimenez is.
0: He's probably top 20 in baseball right now, right? Yeah. But like, you when you send
2: a guy that, you know, you, you want to see your guys dominate. And Bart is dominating. It's like frightening. Yeah, Bart's doing good, but you know he would. Baum is doing good, but you know he would.
0: Baum's uh, actually been
1: kind of... This is no pop.
0: He He's hasn't got an, already, an ISO of 40. He yep. hasn't really been hitting for much power in an environment in which he should be hitting for lots of power. The, Consider- biggest, really I think, does. <laughs> the biggest surprise in that
2: regard, I think, would be Helio Ramos. He's only hitting 171, 222,
0: 293 in 10 games. But that kind of brings it back to um, you know, the issue with the fall league. It's not like you can really hold a lot of this against the guys because you've yeah, I mean, already played a full long season, you know. It's an environment that's super weird anyway. It's like um what I, I said a lot last season with Alonzo. It's like it it's not if it goes well, the environment is likely contributing to it. And if it doesn't go well, it's likely because or you can you can hand wave a lot of it because you know this is the longest season of any of their lives Mm
1: -hmm. you know also these sample sizes are like 30 at bats
0: yeah and also throw in the fact that even with a full season in the afl you're not getting a meaningful sample of anything (laughs) interestingly
2: mickey
1: Mickey moniac is still bad
2: yeah, say <laughs> him and Ramos have the most at-bats, and surprisingly—well, not surprisingly for Moniak, but they are two high-profile guys that are not doing good. On the pitching side, I don't know. It's a kind of dull pitching—the uh, Scorpions have a kind of dull pitching rotation, kind of dull um, bullpen.
1: I mean, it's David so Peterson— so hard to judge. Yeah. The the level of competition here seems to like if this on the same roster you have Ali Sanchez and Joey Bart right and that kind of spread is basically on every roster. So right. how do, how what do you make of any of these? Yeah, it's yeah, it's you've only given up two runs, but
0: it's basically somewhere between like A plus or advanced A and double A. Yeah, it's like A plus plus,
1: but with so like huge like, yeah. swings and variance. Yeah, batter to batter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got guys who have logged triple A time alongside guys who you know. And oh. then
2: throwing a wrench into that even more is the fact that they're playing Mexican League teams this year, which oh,
1: good. also have a oh, ton true. of variance. And zero, even less pitching than these rosters do usually.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, like, when we talk, I mean, it's a completely separate topic here. But when, like, when they talk about, like, Cuban players and trying to quantify, like, you know, or, or even, I mean, Japan, I think, is more... It's easier to do Japan and Korea and Taiwan to a degree. But with Cuba, it's like the talent level can vary so much from team to team. From year to year that it's hard to quantify anything and say like, well, as a general rule of thumb, it's like, you know, low A or high A or whatever, which I th- it was one of the two A-balls that they generally say the uh, series nacional is. But and you know, on the same team, you could have literally an Olympic all-star team, because that's just kind of how they lined things up uh, one year, and then the same, you know, in, in the same uh, year, you could have a team that just has nobody. And it's just hard to, uh, you know, same thing like with the AFL here. It's just hard to quantify anything, because there's just so much variance.
1: I mean, it's kind of... well. The, here's the thing, right? Like, I look at Peterson's line, and again, only 10 innings, but Like 10 strikeouts, that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. But who are you striking out? Right. you striking out Ali Sanchez four times and getting your tits lit by Joey Bart, or obviously the equivalents on other rosters. This is five walks, which is a little not so great.
2: Yeah, that's a little concerning. But at this, again, though, when when you factor in, like, you know, maybe he's just trying to figure out a different ball. 'Cause I'm sure that the AFL is using the crooked ball, so
1: there's some uh names I have no I have no idea who lots of the names on this roster are. Daisabel Hernandez, Connor Johnstone. I refuse to believe that these are real people.
2: <laughs> well, with their ERAs, they probably don't want to believe it either.
1: Yeah. Gilliam looks good too. I guess the hi- the the early season hype on him never went to anything. With good reason, probably.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like I was saying, though. Like a guy, you know, Gilliam is from Clemson. You know, it's a, a solid division, NCAA division. And arguably, you could be saying that he is just from pitching in college or from obviously from pitching most of the season in double A AA and triple A is better than 95% of these guys here anyway. So he should be dominating. Mm hmm. As much as he is, but I you don't know. Obviously, it's much better to have a full body of work here in the EFL before we start making anything off of the numbers. And then, even once we do have a full body of work, it's very there isn't much to glean from from the numbers. So, basically, a waste of time, I guess.
1: Yeah, just just get healthy and uh, <laughs> please, please don't hurt yourself throwing fifteen innings in the freaking fall league. Like, yep. that would be extremely Metsian
2: <laughs> luckily um, just from following the last couple of years I can't think of anybody that got hurt or that had, had stuff in the AFL have a, a big negative impact on their season the next year so that's good but given the fact that I just said that and because this is the Mets that probably will happen yeah,
1: you, you've doomed yeah. us all
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's take a break then and maybe that will cleanse our uh, karma here mm. so we'll be right back after this welcome back everybody i'm steve seipa and i'm joined by lucas vlahos and ken lavin and this week we're going to start our reviews of the mets affiliates and how they did and all kinds of related topics so we'll start at the bottom with the kingsport mets and they were a team that was pretty loaded with talent but all that talent didn't 100% quite translate into wins or enough wins because the 2009 season came down to the wire. And in the end, they just missed out on the playoffs. They went 34-34, and 34, which was a little low, I think, given the roster. We'll get into that later. But 34-34, 500 was good for second place in the Appalachian League West. And if they had a lucky break here or there, they could have ended in first. Uh, and in the playoffs, which they didn't. But regardless of that, it was actually the first time that Kingsport ended with a record above 500 since 2015 when the Kingsport Mets went 20, uh, excuse me, when they went 40 and 28 that year. And there weren't really that many marquee guys on that team either, which is surprising. But they were, Kingsport this year is basically a sub-500 team through July, and then they surged in August. They made up a lot of the ground that they lost. And they forced a showdown with the Johnson City Cardinals in the last series of the year. And Johnson City, they were also neck and neck with Kingsport in the standings. Also had playoffs, playoff aspirations. So it was a real, um, you know, if you're following it, a, a pretty exciting series. Because whoever won would be going to the playoffs and whoever lost would not be. So Kingsport won the first game in that series. They, they cobbled them 15-6. to six. And then they needed to win just one more to clinch the division. And they lost the second game. So it all came down to that third game. And that was a crazy one. Um, Johnson City, they took the lead early. Uh, Junior Santos gave a grand slam. And then a few innings later, uh, Andres Renault and Wilfred Asadillo tied it. And it was 4-4. Then Santos faltered again. And then Kingsport came back and basically went back and forth. But in the end, um, Johnson City had a two-run lead. And in the ninth, with two outs and a man on... Excuse me. Yes. uh, Andres Reinault hit a two-run homer to make it, nine at seven. But in the end, uh, they just couldn't, you know, make up those two runs with only one out to go. And even though they lost, uh, the possibility remained that Kingsport would be able to sneak into the playoffs as the wild card. But... That didn't work out either. Basically, they needed the Danville Braves to beat the Bristol Pirates, but Bristol won 4 2 and clinched their playoff spot themselves. So that was the end of Kingsport in 2019. But all in all, it was a fun team, a lot of good talent. But like I was saying before, it just didn't really translate into, you know, um, wins. Brett Beatty, you know, very high. Um, Ceiling, but just the stats didn't really weren't really there. Um, Jalen Palmer, you know, same thing, another guy that has a very high ceiling, but and the stats were a little better for him, but it just didn't translate into wins. Um, he
0: had a really weird season,
2: yeah, he yeah, was. he struck out a ton
0: 39.1% of the time,
2: yeah, 108 strikeouts in 62 games. Uh, That's not great, Bob. No, but he also did walk the most on the entire team. He had 31 walks. And let's see, the next... 31 walks in 62 games. The next closest was... Gregory Guerrero, who walked 26 times in uh, 53 games.
1: We should should talk about him, too, because it seems like he... kind of reestablished himself as someone to watch after a couple years. Roughly
0: league average hitter. Yeah,
1: I mean... He's.
2: I saw a couple of home runs down there. One of them was one that he hit, and it was like a, a holy crap kind of moonshot. And I was like, wow. Um, and then I looked at his stats, and he was still only hitting like 220 with like uh, uh, a slugging that was around 400. So I was like, okay, like, hmm. Not really sure what his deal is. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I completely wrote him off um, coming into the year. I wrote him off like two or three years ago. He had a really hot start to the season, and he kind of faded down the stretch a lot. Um, I think he definitely did do enough, though, that he's a guy of of maybe not of interest or a guy to follow, but a guy to be aware of, I guess, if we're really breaking and delineating, you know, non-top kind of prospects right i I wouldn't say that he's a guy that next year you know might rebound and hit amazingly, but you know the possibility does exist. It's just really, really small, but
1: I mean the the fact that I'm always intre- I think it's always more interesting to think about the guys who have that flash of something sometimes and if he has that the power to put up that kind of homework, it's in there somewhere, so there's always the hope he could just harness it more.
2: Yeah, I mean, and he is only and he, it feels like he's been around for a long time, but he is only 20 turning 21 next year. So, I mean, it's not like he's a complete lost cause or anything. Like right. Power power is like raw power. Anyway, it feels like one of those tools that's like uh, an oasis in like a desert, like it's a mirage because in, in batting practice or on a real big meatball, anybody could show like a ton of, of raw power. But when your hitting ability is not that great and you're not able to translate it into a game, it's like, well, all the raw power is not going to help you for nothing. Tomas Nito, a good example. You know, he has a ton of raw power, but his his hit tool is just not that great, especially in the major leagues. So a lot of good, the raw power is going to do him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's better to see a guy that has the capability, but it's one of those things like, yeah, that's great, but when you pair it with the ability to hit for just just a hit, it's like, oh, okay, well.
1: We got the wrong Guerrero.
2: Oh, yeah. They actually had or have had two, two Guerreros. They had a pitcher Guerrero. I'm not sure whatever came of him, but...
1: I couldn't tell you.
2: Yeah, though, they
1: they picked the wrong Guerreros. Uh who else on this roster was interesting. It's a shame we didn't see more of the center fielders since both of them got hurt. Yeah. Uh like can, did did can even get on the field? No. And then Hernandez was hurt after like
0: four games in the complex or something
1: yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. They probably might have a more upside than anyone else on this team.
2: Well, obviously Alvarez is the uh is the guy here. Oh yeah, he hit. He hit for power. He hit for average. He catches very well. Only seventeen, the the literal youngest player in the league. Yeah, like he, he, you know, you you always can write off a guy and say it's okay if you struggle, you're young right now. But he did the opposite of struggling, which is good to see. It's actually interesting. Um, Kingsport was one of the youngest teams in the Appy this year. Um, they, had third, they were third youngest when it comes to hitters, and then overall youngest when it comes to pitchers. But you wouldn't have thought that, at least kind of like a quick casual look, because of all those college seniors. And I think a lot of them really underperformed relative to the level. Because, I mean, this year, Kingsport, GCL, Brooklyn, all three of them could have kind of been interchangeable because of the Mets draft strategy and just taking so many of those seniors, and then you got to assign them somewhere. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. There are Zach Whalen is a 24 year old. Then there's one, two, three, four, five, five 22 year olds. One, two, three, four, five, six, and six 21 year olds, which is a little old, I would say, for the uh, Appalachian League.
1: You know, you want to kind of,
2: you want maybe 20s, 20 or so is the cutoff. But, but then you of also headers, have
0: yeah. like Junior Santos dragging down the average, you right? Also,
2: exactly. Uh, you have two seventeen-year-old, uh, right? Two seventeen-year-olds, uh, a bunch of eighteen. Let's say one. Oh, okay, only two eighteen-year-olds, and then yeah, a bunch of nineteen-year-olds, and that kind of balances things out exactly as you were saying. But I would have thought that there would have been, uh, uh, on average, a lot older of a team. And then, and
1: did, yeah, do did we, like, we get any live looks at Santos this year? Yeah. I don't.
2: Mm-hmm. Steve did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously his stuff is much better than the numbers. The numbers are very, I wouldn't even call them pedestrian. They were just not that great. Uh, five point oh nine ERA in forty point two innings with twenty five walks and thirty six strikeouts. In oh, I said forty point two innings, yeah. Um, but obviously, A, he's a 17 year old. And B, at this point, really, we're just looking more at the underlying stuff. And the stuff is very good. Um, you know, really big fastball. It was 90 to 97, sitting mostly 94 95. Had a, a decent uh, curveball, decent change up. And obviously, he's a huge kid. So there's going to be stamina, there's going to be durability, everything like that.
0: Yeah, and And you'd expect him to start throwing towards the higher end of that uh, velocity band as he gets older. You know, maybe more 94 or 93 to 95 or something like that.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, consider he can literally do nothing for the next three years, let's say, and he'll still be just 20, which is still kind of young-ish.
1: Outside of him, I, pitching wasn't really that great for Kingsport, though. I, I imagine this is gonna—you guys are both gonna have Santos on a lot higher on your list than I do when uh, when it comes time for that exercise.
2: Uh, I mean, I had him, I think, like twenty or so last year, and hmm. nothing. I mean, maybe he'll. I, I'm haven't done any work on that yet, but I imagine he'll be be down a little bit. Or up, I should he, say, a little bit, like
0: fifteen to twenty. But he's still more of like an upside guy than you know, than right? Anything,
2: the, really, the upside from from the reports that we had last year still pretty much were the it, it still are pretty accurate to what I saw last year. I think last year they were saying like, oh, he can hit up to ninety five, and this year. When I saw him, he was hitting up to ninety-seven and was sitting ninety-five. So I mean, big difference, but not too too much in the context of then where he is and everything else in his development.
1: All right, oh, I yeah. mean, I'll speak. I'll try to maintain uh, some cautious optimism there rather than just killing him for posting an ERA over five.
2: Yeah, I mean, for him, definitely, it's more of what he can do rather than what he did do because
0: he's he's a project, but yes, you know, the materials are are good, definitely. You... Steve, where do you think? Uh, just comparing two of the sort of like lottery ticket arms in the lower minors, where do you think he compares to to Josh Wolf? Uh. Or how do you think he stacks up against somebody I, like Josh Wolf?
2: I would rate him above Wolf because he is younger. Mm. Um, obviously, he has they weren't the best, but forty professional innings under his belt, so he's faced you know live actual hitting. Um, the body is better, the fastball is better. Wolf has better secondaries, but I mean that's something that you know San, Santos does have to work on.
0: And yeah again, but though, and also Wolf has had you know an extra year of just living and <laughs> practicing and stuff to Right exactly
2: I habits, was going to say yeah. Wolf Wolf can face Wolf can face you know more life pitching next year and his stuff it turns out is just is going to get hammered and then back to the drawing board. So whereas Santos's wasn't exactly hammered but you know wasn't great either but but yeah I would put I would put I would put them both comparable you know in the system similar spots but i would have santos ahead of wolf
1: i think i agree with that for now honestly um
2: yeah
1: because so we have, have an... more we have like a more definitive report on santos's stuff and it's potentially very high end versus wolf is just like eh, generic prep arm that you're yeah
0: he's, he's more or, the or less the same pitcher as swr was coming right. out. Of draft, you
2: know right Like you were saying, like you were saying in your segment last week, we have more actual data that has been that has been you know uh, more repeatable data that you can glean information from on Santos than we do from Wolf.
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Let's see. Outside of Santos, though, pitching in uh, Kingsport wasn't really too good. Um, We had Michael who was there for a couple of innings, about 30 innings, which is actually a bit at the beginning of the year, but then he went to uh, Brooklyn. But he was probably the best pitcher that threw any considerable number of innings on that team for the entire year.
0: Which tells you a lot about that pitching staff.
2: Yeah. Uh, Let's see.
0: I'm kind of amazed that he uh, was able to strike, has had a... 4 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio in Kingsport yeah, he really after seeing him pitch in in Brooklyn like i'm amazed that he was able to pound the zone that much just like well, seeing the mechanics and the effort involved
2: i guess that shows the difference between hitters that i mean a, a lot i would say maybe it's a 60 40 mix between like international kind of players that have come up through the system in the Appalachian League and then players who are coming from, from colleges. And then in the in the New York Penn it's maybe more 50-50. So that 10%, let's say, could make the world of difference because generally speaking, college haters are more polished in things like, you know... on.
0: Uh, um, I think part of it is also just like being able to get away with leaning on your fastball really heavily. Right, I mean, college hard.
2: players are more... Polished with like throwing their secondaries or having a better eye, and um, Otania's probably benefited from guys having not that great eyes down in the Abbey, but then in the New York pen they're using slightly better eyes, and he was a bit more wasn't getting those guys to swing at stuff that they probably shouldn't be swinging at anyway.
1: Let's see, um. Is there anyone I've... in particular we're excited to see on this roster next year? I know that's probably looking ahead a little bit. Ah, uh, well, let's see. Who was on the GCL Mets this
2: year? Obviously, we have the uh, Consuegra and Hernandez.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I could see, well, Consuegra, I believe, was supposed to be in Kingsport this year. So I could see them possibly skipping him to, to Brooklyn. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would imagine Hernandez would be there. I'd imagine uh, Valdez would probably be there if they, since they promoted him out, uh, to the complex at the end of the year. Uh, Macintosh, who they kind of Macintosh. If, if Palmer, if Palmer ended up in Kingsport for his first full year, Macintosh um, will probably end up there. Uh, yeah, the
2: GCL team didn't really have too much going on for it this year.
0: They might keep Wolf there. Uh, although I think he's probably ticketed for Brooklyn did you see Franklin para oh no he was in the the complex no
2: he was in yeah he's a guy that'll probably end I, up I would in imagine he probably end up. yeah there's a bunch of like high schoolers that were drafted a few years ago Ronnie Taylor juniors Noah Nunez's is that they've had decent uh success/amount slash amount of innings in the GCL this year that could wind up in Kingsport. Chase Beck is another guy uh, a senior that they signed a, a high school senior they signed this year. Um he could wind up in Kingsport next year. Yeah, so I don't I don't know how exciting the Kingsport team will be next year as compared to this one. I mean, I feel like this was a very special uh, cast of characters between all those hitters, all those infielders, and.
0: I mean, just and okay, Alvarez buddy. and Batty are probably two of the four guys who are in play for second best prospect in the system, probably. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I don't think that the, any potential 2020 Kingsport team will be able to say the same. <laughs> Alright, and we will be right back after this quick break. Welcome back everybody. I'm Steve Saipa and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. And obviously related to the Kingsport Mets, but the Mets have a opening, managerial opening. Um what are the odds you think that Rich Donnelly is gonna be able to well, not sure to say is able to, but what are the odds you think Rich Donnelly would be hired as Mets manager? He was Kingsport manager this year. Slim, slim to none.
0: Hired, yeah, pretty much nothing. Get an interview, yeah. maybe. He's been in the game a long time and is just kind of a fascinating dude in a lot of ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I can't imagine if, you know...
1: I mean, it's kind of
0: weird I... his name even gets brought up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no,
1: I don't think so either. But he's not—he's not like one of those high-profile guys who just goes straight to managing and, and managing a major league team. And he is also not someone who's worked his way up through the system, so it doesn't seem like he has a—he'd be in line via either path, honestly.
2: No, probably not. But if we're gonna keep it internal,
1: he is uh,
2: a guy that did manage a. Uh, uh, team that wasn't under 500 so and majority of the guys that you know he had under him that you would have wanted to perform did so he has that to his credit
0: he's also just been coaching a very long time under some like very successful big league managers he is an older dude like um i'm on his wikipedia page now and he coached 14 years under jim leland uh You know, type of thing. You he might get an interview, but
1: it definitely feels like the Mets are just gonna make a back page higher, right? They're gonna oh, yeah, we, definitely. We, we made a good signing because the New York Post told us it was a good signing. Hooray!
2: That is Metzian. Yes. All right. Well, do you guys have any last words for the week? <sighs>
1: I miss I miss minor league baseball. I thought I'd be uh, happy without having to do farm reports. It's uh, not having baseball. There's just like an itch. It is. It is. Football just doesn't like scratch it the same way. Yeah.
0: No. I, mm. I really could care less about football. Yep. Um... It's funny, though, like, without the daily grind of minor league baseball, I, whenever I'm, like, lying in bed trying to fall asleep, I find myself, like, organizing my list. <laughs> <So> that's <laughs> good, <in> then. <laughs> <head>. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, these guys are going to be in play for spots two through six.
1: <laughs> I like that Kenzo attitude. I'm yeah. still stuck on my AO, AAOP planning. I haven't moved on to thinking about my list yet. Stephen Velines number one overall prospect. Uh, the dream is not dead, boys.
0: <laughs> well, that would be quite a take.
1: I I don't think even I'm dumb enough to make that take. You think
0: he stays in your top 30?
1: <laughs> hmm. <laughs> a lot
0: of a lot of the shine has worn off, but he's still the Stephen Velines.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I, I, I still that... love him deeply. <laughs>
0: Even
2: more so than last year, I think the system is a, the, uh, outside of you know.
0: It was a thin system, and then they got rid of a bunch of dudes.
2: Right. <laughs> I think last year, like one to one to eleven or so, was kind of easy to do, and
0: just whatever already did it. But, I honestly like, knew... think, like after eight, it's gonna be <laughs> <laughs> right this this rad. year.
2: There's gonna be a lot of uh, variation, even more than last year. And then it just starts to come into play what you value more overall upside, uh, proximity to the majors, overall upside with relation to proximity to the majors. So I could definitely see and it would hold. I, I, I probably will be doing this myself, but ranking a guy like Valines, whose upside is maybe only so so and is close to the majors, then a guy like. Mm -hmm. whoever made a player that you know has a higher upside but has gonna have a a long way to go that's a completely valid
1: way to do it i might just shove him in at at 25 for the hell of it worst case scenario
2: yeah yeah
1: and the last spot is almost always just someone you want to talk about rather than
0: yeah i think that
1: this 25th guy is definitely better than number 26
0: I mean, our, our twenty <laughs> well, our twenty fifth last year was one uh, Francisco Alvarez.
1: Well, that <laughs> very, worked out. <laughs> you could
2: arguably make the case that he is the Mets' top prospect if you wanted to. So one to mm-hmm. one for twenty five to make... one would be quite a jump.
1: Could you make that case? Yeah, if you, if you believe mean, that Jimenez's swing is totally bored. I mean,
0: that... so the, the realistically, the candidates for for I. I I'm probably going to have Mauricio as my number one, but the candidates for one are what? Mauricio, Jimenez? Mauricio, Alan. Jimenez,
2: Alan, Beatty, and Vientos.
0: And uh Alvarez, probably too. Well,
2: well outside
1: of him, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd probably about, put Alan as my first if I got into my head.
0: Yeah, I I, Bruce, I think so. um I think Mauricio is probably my one. Two. Um, as of now, we'll see how many sleepless nights I have where <laughs> I'm running this through.
1: Ken just uh, has like numbers floating across his eyes whenever he tries to sleep. <laughs> he has no rest.
0: They don't. Uh, they don't like make any sense though. They're just random digits.
1: The uh, numbers, Mason. What do they mean?
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, my candidates for two right now are Jimenez, Allen, and Alvarez, and all of them have considerable risk. So I don't really think there's a right answer there. You know.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Right, well, oh, I meant uh, to say this at uh, the
1: start. You didn't, you didn't go through Brody's worst transgression, which uh, Ken might agree with me on. We didn't. Is... Uh, Ramos instead of Grandal. Oh, oh my that. god.
0: I get angry every time I think about that. Me too. <laughs> Ramos is like a literal unicorn, or not Ramos. Grundal is like a literal unicorn in the game.
1: Like the, a good defensive
0: a, catcher who's like an elite hitter, too.
1: I'm pretty sure there's an argument <laughs> to be made that if the Met, like if the Brewers and Mets just swap catchers, the Mets are in the playoffs and the Brewers aren't. Yep.
2: That's true, because it's one of those situations where the, the Brewers were benefiting from and the Mets were suffering from the lack of hm Baseball's or
1: a
0: zero-sum game.
1: Six wins for Milwaukee this season per baseball perspectives. Wilson Ramos. Uh, baseball... He was
0: like two and a half,
1: if I recall correctly. Was he that many? I would have guessed less.
0: I mean, he's a really good hitter relative One to his position. One and, a, One half, and okay. a half.
1: on BP. That's a 10-game swing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not Anyways. great, Bob.
2: No. All right, We're well. We're
1: uh, track now, so I'll stop.
2: Yeah. <laughs> if anyone has any questions, you can send us them at our email address from complexthequeens at gmail.com. Or you can uh, follow us on Twitter and then shoot us those questions there. I'm at Steve Sipa. Lucas is at LVLAHOS343. And Ken is at Ken1191. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Rate, review. And, of course, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next week with a review of the AFL and a review of the 2019 Brooklyn Cyclone season, which was a fun one. So until then, love the Mets, love
0: the Mets.